man, it just feels good, Nathan, to be. I mean, we haven't missed a beat, right? Yeah, a week. Yeah, we've but, released one every single week. But we'll let our listeners know we haven't connected in a while. That's right. It's uh, you know throwing our cards out there. It's been over two months, really. Yeah, since we since we, since we sat down face to face and did a recording because yeah. you know with uh, the blessing of modern technology, we did all of our holiday ones from November and December back at the end of October. Yes. And so we were able to take some personal breaks and, and get some good holiday family time in. So that was a blessing. True, dude, which is why uh, any of our regulars will know you heard nothing about Trump winning when he won. That's right. Because we were pretty much all, <laughs> even at that point, yeah. almost done and in the books or close to it. Yeah. And um, I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed taking a break for me ranting about the Ravens' pathetic season. <laughs> but it's done and over with. So now it, you could just enjoy football. Greg, I, I can, football. man. I'll tell you what, I do enjoy it more when they're when they're not in it. I'd rather them be in it. But, man, at least my sanctification is moderately in check. Um, <laughs> Lisa's very – I think Lisa roots and maybe prays for, for the Ravens early to demise. be done early <laughs> so that January is a – better month because dude it's terrible not that i ever struggle with idolatrous sports addiction that's That's right that's other people i need to talk to your father-in-law again that's right um but yeah ravens are done they went eight and eight and uh john harbaugh is making sweeping changes by firing the director of training and conditioning so i i think when you make a powerful move like that i mean next year you're on the road to to victory oh it's incredible so uh, let me just bash but where we are recording right now yeah both the New England Patriots yep. and the Pittsburgh Steelers are in it. Who do you hate the most, Greg? Dude, I all due respect as a New England guy, a New Hampshire guy as you are, Nathan. Yeah. But because I know you're not a super sports fan, yeah. I think I hate the Patriots more. Fair enough. I loathe the Patriots. I cannot deny their incredible talent. <laughs> Tom Brady. Man, that guy is a monster. Yeah. Can't stand the guy. But he is unbelievably talented. Bill Belichick, who yeah. we call the evil emperor in the right. hoodie, um, is a is a mastermind. Yeah. But I mean, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of pure <laughs> biblical hatred for the Steelers. But I do think the uh, Patriots uh, Here's the good thing, since they're in the same conference, at least one of them has to lose and not right. get in the Super right. Bowl. Right. So there's some small comfort, but there you go. it's going to be Pittsburgh or New England. You heard it right now, folks. <laughs> the two people that listen to this podcast that like sports are still listening. That's right. <laughs> so, oh, that's great. Um, speaking of sports, we got a couple quick announcements. Um, first of all, the podcast that I was doing with my father-in-law, Love God Like Sports. Uh, the new scoreboard. We're actually going to be taking a uh, more permanent break from that one. He reevaluated some things over the holiday and just decided that um, we, we were kind of putting the cart before the horse with the podcast. He wanted to get that out there and do some things. But because he's trying to start up a whole ministry sure. with this idea, he feels like he can better put his efforts and talents into other places by getting resources and materials going uh, with that curriculum and other things. So we're going to be taking um, a longer sabbatical. I don't think it's going to be a complete, um, uh, you know, disillusion of the 
um, or dissolving of the podcast, but we're going to go ahead and put that on hold for now. So for those of you who are, you know, we said we were going to be starting back up in January. It's January. We haven't started up. We're not going to at this point. So um, just putting that out there. And then want to give a shout out to Mission Aware. Um, We've been um, partnering with them uh, on and off during the holiday season. Uh, We were making big announcements about um, the mugs that we now have with our logo on it. And so we still want to, Put that out there to people. You can go on to Mission Aware. You can go ahead and pick up one of the cool. Um, these go to 11 uh, mugs. It's got our logo on it. Beer mug, great. Um, and we're hoping that soon we will have some uh, great T-shirts for people to purchase as well. And, and, and did you see, dude, somebody reached out to us on Twitter or Facebook and said, man, this was intense. They studied that picture uh-huh. and said there were actually 13 notches on that volume dial. Really? I said it's because we can always go up more. That's right. <laughs> I mean, we haven't taken it to 12 or 13 yet. That's right. We but just... we might today with our guest. Oh, dude. Dude, what a transition that was. Oh, my gosh. It's like you're a professional. That is incredible. <laughs> See, if Lisa heard this whole segment right now, that's why she would say she doesn't listen. Because <laughs> the nerd of impact there was so strong. But I thought it was good. There you go. Um, and we really do want to welcome our guest, Amy Bird. Amy, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing awesome. We got a chance to talk to you a little bit beforehand, so that was um, that's always exciting uh, part for us is getting to know our guests offline a little bit. Um, but we want our listeners to get to know you a little bit, so go ahead and um, tell us a little bit about yourself, friends, family, what you do. You are a fellow Marylander, so go ahead I and am. lead off with that for us. Okay, so my family and I, we live in Frederick, Maryland. Um, we just moved back to Frederick about a year and a half ago from Martinsburg, West Virginia, where we lived for 11 years. Um, We're members of New Hope OPC here in Frederick, Maryland. We're loving it there. And I am an author and a blogger over at the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. I blog for mortificationofspin.org, where I'm also a co-host of their podcast there with Carl Truman and, and Todd Pruitt. I also do some um, speaking engagements for conferences and women's retreats, which is always fun. And I have, I've been married for going on 20 years now, and we have three children. Yeah. Um, Currently have a senior in high school, which is a whole new realm of living. Um, (laughs) We also, so I have a senior daughter and a freshman daughter as well. So two girls in high school, and then my son just entered middle school this year in the sixth grade. Nice. Amy, I have to say, just to give something away from the book we'll be talking about, your most recent book, uh, I was reading last night. You mentioned in one of your chapters, your husband's my kind of guy because he he taunts, right? At the (laughs) time, I think you said your 13-year-old daughter. Yeah. I love that. I thought that's my kind of guy. To me, it's every father's privilege to embarrass (laughs) their, their, their teenage daughter. Yeah, it's he like got I, much pleasure out of that. I feel like that's why God put us on the earth. There's probably some <laughs> other things, you know, that he wants out of our lives, I'm sure. But I definitely think that's part and parcel of the whole package that he'll what I think the uh, thing you shared in the book is he shouted out to her, what, love, laugh, live or <laughs> yeah, something so like that. Um, he was the one who dropped her off in the mornings in the eighth grade last year. And, you know, in middle school, they're just so self-aware and so easily embarrassed <laughs> by their parents. And yes. So she would always tell me to turn the music down as he's pulling up and don't say anything when I leave. <laughs> and, uh, 
inevitably, he'd let her think that she was getting away safe, and then he'd roll down the window and yell something. And my favorite thing that he would yell would be, Zadie, live, laugh, love. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Isn't it? I, it I, I view it as payback. Is one day she, Lord willing, will have a teenage son or daughter. And, um, you know, I, I remember, Amy, as a kid growing up in Parkville, Maryland, uh, not terribly far away from where you are now. Uh, my mother, because we were walkers, you know, we walked to school. And when yeah. it was pouring down rain, she drove us. But um, I would never take the umbrella because <laughs> I made her drop me off a block before the middle school because you can't get dropped off by your mom. Because the cool thing to do is walk soaking wet with no umbrella in the middle Things school. have changed. Yes, because the other kids can't know that you have a mom that yeah. drives you for some reason. She actually so. exists. Yes, right, right. She lives in the real world. Um, so I thought that was really cool. I thought my kind of guy right there. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, so we do actually really want to um, dive right in because um, this – I think this book has been so great for both um, Greg and I because I think – um, Greg, I think if you were to put us on a scale and, and you have the middle, I would lean more on the other side of egalitarianism. Uh-huh. I, I, I wouldn't say, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, some kind of champion of feminazis and things like that. But I do think that women have um, a more uh, crucial role in the church in terms of pastoring. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, again, you would be on the other side. You're not hard staunch. Women can't do anything in the church, but you don't believe that they have that same role. And I think if we were to look at this, um, Amy, Amy's book, you are, uh, Amy, I would say just right there in the middle. You stress the importance of women's roles in the church and the value that they have in ministry and being able to care um, in their ministry, but at the same time, you would say that there is a definite line there, and that um, that God's word does provide that line. Um, and so, uh, your book, No Little Women, put out by PNR Publishing, who we've partnered with several times. Um, why don't you go ahead and talk to us um, about this a little bit? Just give us a a good overall synopsis, some of those things that you think are important to highlight. And then Greg and I are just we we just want to really ask you some questions. We have so many questions about this book because I think both of us appreciated it on so many levels. Um, So, so talk to us about that. Yeah. um, There were several factors that led me to write this book. Um, I care very much about women in the church. And I, like I said, I do a lot of speaking at women's retreats and um, I read a lot of books about women's ministries. And while there have been some helpful books written about women's ministries, I felt like from being in a lot of different churches and talking to different women and pastors in those churches, and from my some of my own experiences in my past, um, I've really noticed that these books were lacking in any good critique of where we are now mm-hmm. um, with women's ministries and where, um, you know, putting that beside God's word and seeing how well it matches up. I think yeah. what's happened in in a lot of complementarian churches is that, um, okay, so we have a strong conviction that only certain um, qualified men occupy the space of ordained ministry. But we see that women have a lot of influence in the church. We see that women are very gifted, and many are, are gifted to teach even. 
And so we've developed this thing called women's ministries. And, you know, we, we want to follow maybe what Paul's telling uh, Titus, you know, the, the, the popular Titus two passage of, of women discipling women. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, we find these women in the church who are gifted to teach and we kind of put them in charge there. And, and what happens a lot of the time is it looks like a good venue then for women to grow and learn and serve in the church. However, what's happened is it's become in a lot of churches anyway, not all has become its own separate wing. Mm. And it's almost like a peripheral ministry um, of its own in the church. And, um, also, I see what happening is, you know, men will get invested in well, theologically, um, and I can see how that happens because, hey, they're potential elders, they're potential pastors even, yeah. but um, women too have just as much influence in the body of Christ as the men do, and and they make up usually more than half yes. <laughs> of the congregation, and they have huge influence in the household of God except for the material that I'm finding that is marketed to women and women's ministries, which has become quite a commodity now, um, is full of poor theology and error, biblical error, bad hermeneutics and biblical exposition, um, kind of heavy on the sentimentalism and low on, on intellect. Um, And so we're being pandered to in that way. And then I'll, I'll get emails from women or from pastors saying, oh, you know, we're studying this in our women's study. And I know that there's a lot of error in it. I don't know what to do. Or the pastor will be like, I just discovered that the women are reading this book and doing this study. And um, I'm really concerned about it. But there's been division when I tried to address it. Mm, yes. Mm, yes. So there's some real issues now in women's ministry, even in the most conservative reformed churches, even um, under great, wonderful preaching with well-intended leaders, you know, and women. Yes. Amy, if I can, uh, you just gave me a great intro um, for my comment slash question. Uh, And again, for our listeners, we're talking with uh, Amy Bird, her excellent book, No Little Women, subtitled uh, Equipping All Women in the Household of God. It's put out by PNR Press, uh, who we've partnered with, and they just always have such great guests, great books. Um, I'm going deep into the book here, almost halfway. This is page 97, um, and this is under the chapter How the Church Ministers to Every Member. Uh, and you write, churches can have great teaching from the pulpit on Sunday, and yet different teaching may be let in throughout the week. Where is the discernment? What are we missing? Maybe it has become easier for false teachers to target little women to infect the church because we have separated them in their own ministry. There are so many books full of bad theology that have been written with women's groups in mind. Pastors can hardly keep up with what women are up against in the danger zone labeled, quote, Christian publishing, unquote. Uh, can I just tell you, that really resonated with me. I, I am a pastor. Uh, as mm-hmm. Nathan mentioned, our church here in, um, in Forest Hill, Maryland, uh, is much like what you describe. Uh, we are a Reformed church. Uh, more women than men. It's a fairly even split, but there's, there's more women here. We, we've done the count mm-hmm. on that. Women tend to be, tend to be the most active members uh, of the church, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I will say that I often do not know what is happening uh, 
because there is that sense in which, okay, well, yeah, I'm a guy. I've got four elders on my team. Uh, we kind of capture the Sunday morning teaching. We have community groups, but we know there's a number of women uh, that meet in groups that you mentioned in your book, such as Community Bible Study, BSF. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't always know what they're getting. You know, hey, they're doing a Beth Moore Bible Study. They're, uh, you know, doing, uh, <laughs> can I say hopefully not a Joyce Meyer study, <laughs> but uh, I just mentioned that because you mentioned a few of those women in the book, really without too much mm-hmm. comment. Um, talk to me, if you could, uh, about that. Amy, as a pastor, mm-hmm. uh, take the gloves off. You're not in my church. So if, <laughs> if, if you could say, I'll tell you, Greg, um, you're always kind. So I'm obviously being tongue-in-cheek uh, when you speak about <laughs> pastors. I know you hold them in high regard. Thank you. That's very clear. That doesn't feel put on. But I, I do want to invite you to say, what is it that we, that as men, male leaders in the church, might miss and why this happens so frequently? I that wasn't right. even a question. I just gave you a whole landing strip, and you land <laughs> yeah. wherever, you, wherever you want to land, Amy. Okay. Um, I could take this from a couple of different angles, but, um, you know, it is true. It's overwhelming what is being marketed to Christian women. And I can understand in your own studies, you have this stack of books. You know, you have your own um, time you're trying to put into your sermons and preparation into whatever else you're teaching in the church at the time and where you would like to grow. And um, I know elders have usually full-time jobs besides being an elder Mm -hmm. that uh, require a lot of their time. And then, and then they're also trying to shepherd the rest of the church. But um, I think what's happened is in a response to some of the um, sexual revolution infiltrating the church and the radical feminism in that way, there have been a lot of responses in Christian literature for biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Mm-hmm. And at first, this looked like a great, um, a great trusting resource to say, oh, good. You know, pastors can say there's stuff out there for my congregation to read about this stuff, really good stuff, some of it, to combat this bad teaching. There's women out there um, with names that sound, you know, trustworthy, according to other people uh-huh. um, who are writing t- for the women in, in our church and helping provide resources for them. But what's happened is that this is just blown up and blown out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, women, like you said, are they seem to be very active in the church. They're also according to a 2014 study, buying 72% of the Christian fiction books and 59% of Christian nonfiction books. Wow. So we're also reading a lot more than the men. And, um, but I, I spend a whole chapter on just taking a look at the market of books for women. And it's really concerning. Mm -hmm. Now I can understand. I don't want to read the bestsellers. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of them are just uninteresting, full of error or fluff or whatever, and I'd, I'd rather spend my time on something else. But I've done that. I've read a lot of the bestsellers, um, and my eyes were even wider open because I talked to so many women. Have you read such and such? It's you know affected my life. I love it. I'm yeah. recommending this to a friend. And I know they're in good churches, women reading these books. And, sure. and what's, what's happened is um, – like I said, we've been sidelined a little bit as a ministry, and we've lost sight of being ministered under the ministry mm-hmm. of word and sacrament. 
And, and so I try to recover that uh, biblical vision, the gift that we have of the ministry um, in the book and just plea with pastors as well and try to provide help and, and, and how we can um, invest in the women in the church, how we can build better relationships in the church with the women and how women function as necessary allies to the men mm. in the church um, in God's mission to the world. So, I mean, that, there's a lot, that's a lot. <laughs> no, no, sure. that's great. Amy. That I've set out to write about, but um, I really am trying to use a positive message, you know, that Christ loves his church so much that he wants all of his church, including the women to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God. Mm. So that's what my goal was. Nice. <clears throat> Amy, this is Nathan here. Um, so mm-hmm. let me, let me ask you because I, you know, I see how much, um, time and effort that, um, you know, I'll just, I'll focus on Greg for a minute because he's the lead pastor here at the church, how much time and effort he puts into the ministries that go on here in the church. And, and thankfully, and I say this, honestly, there aren't a ton of ministries. There is, um, there's the Sunday morning worship. We have, you know, children's ministries. Um, there are some, you know, women's Bible studies that go on, but our main focus here in the church is trying to, to, to put the ministries into the hands of the community groups, mm-hmm. into our small groups where, you know, hey, if, if, if you have a desire, you know, for, for missions, you know, we, we, we do have some missions that go on. But if your desire is for missions, you know, we don't want to, you know, pour hundreds of thousands of dollars into this resource. We want you as a community group to take it upon yourselves to go out and do this. If your desire is for the homeless, because there's just too many people in the church in too many different directions that people will go with ministries and they rise and fall. So we try to relegate a lot of those things into the community groups. But I, I understand what you're saying. This is so important. And so could, could I ask what would be a practical recommendation for pastors, for churches to really help in this particular area of getting good material into the hands of um, individuals. Because, you know, again, I look at Greg and then I look at our elder team and not only are they involved in what I would consider full-time ministry, um, Mm -hmm. but they're also, you know, carrying on full-time jobs um, and, and doing all those other things. And so, um, is there is there a safe way to say okay maybe maybe it's not the pastor or the elders but hey we can we we know some people who are just very godly and strong biblically who would be great at discerning um, this material and so maybe tasking and appointing them to go out and do those do that research on behalf of the church do you think that's a viable option or solution yeah I have two answers. Um... First, just in general, with all the lay people, I think that an easy resource at your hands as church leaders are the confessions that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, if you're using uh, the catechism, Westminster Catechism, um, in your church, or maybe the Heidelberg Catechism, here's something that you can teach. It's already laid out for you. Um, and these can be guidelines then for every lay person in your church, um, guardrails while they're reading scripture um, for a biblical interpretation. Um, It's kind of like a map, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, 
if I was going to look at a map of Maryland, I can see the roads of how to get everywhere. I can see how it all connects and what the big picture is supposed to look like, where the beaches, where the mountains are kind of thing. Um, so I think that helps to train lay people when they're reading scripture and also when they're reading other books that are supposed to be Christian books mm-hmm. um, to have some discernment when they're reading. But secondly, yeah, I very much agree that there's going to be some discerning people in your congregation. There's going to be some people who are clearly leaders as well. And you can invest in them in a particular way and use them as a, a resource, you know, work with them. Bring them to some of your session meetings, you know, a couple women in your church that uh, – you find to be really discerning and they're really aware of what's out there and what the women in the church are reading, what the women in the church are going through right now. And, and maybe um, something that would be good to do a study on mm-hmm. with them because of that. Um, tap into those resources that you have there at your church. Excellent. Excellent, Amy. Uh, Amy, Greg, again, I um, promise every time I ask you a question, I'm not going to read an excerpt, but I am for the first couple. Because, um, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> you know, um, again, and our listeners, hang in there, because at the end, we're going to tell you how you can get a free copy of the book as yep. well. But uh, again, we're talking with Amy Bird, uh, who is the author of her newest book, No Little Women, Equipping All Women in the Household of God. Chapter six, uh, my favorite chapter in the book, and they were all excellent. And I'm not Thank just you. saying that because that's what the host is supposed to say. <laughs> um, and, and just to let you know, Amy, uh, I, I say this so our listeners know, um, and also I've already mentioned to one of our other pastors, this is a book I would like to put on my elder team's reading list that we Thank would you. read together. And um, yeah. we, we have gotten uh, – I mean, uh, Nathan and I have just been mm-hmm. buzzing about it, talking about it all day in prep for this podcast – uh, you have a chapter called Men Learning from Women, question mark, um, where you start by uh, uh, or you start with this quote. Do you believe it is OK for a woman to think and write about theology, given she will also be read by men such as myself? If so, why is it not allowed for a woman to preach? This was a question that a man asked in the comments of uh, one of my housewife theologian blog posts. I've been asked similar questions before. If women are not to preach, are they permitted to teach in an environment where men will be learning? So now, Amy, easy question. Summarize all of Chapter 6 to answer that question. (laughs) 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 Or do whatever you would like. Because that, no, just to say, that is one of those tightrope questions, uh, Mm -hmm. which gets Christians sort of um, tripped up at times. But I'm so thankful I thought it was a masterful chapter, the way you you really unpacked that question and dealt with issues of the local church, teaching authority. I don't want to give it all away, and there's obviously not time. But um, what what would you say to somebody conversationally? As I said, you've written a great chapter. uh, But what would you say conversationally at Starbucks? Somebody says, what's the deal, Amy? Can I read a book on theology by a woman? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting what comes along with a question like that because you know first I think wow women aren't the only ones excluded by God's word from the office of the ministry most men are never called to this position yes but yet we we don't have that question of you know could we learn anything from them yes great point (laughs) so that kind of uh, is irritating as a woman to hear sometimes you know just going to scripture I immediately love to, and I use this in Housewife Theologian, just 
to to show the importance of women knowing good theology, and that's Jesus' prayer mm-hmm. in John 17. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Um, every single one of us is responsible to know God and to know him truthfully, to know him well. Um, I'm not going to go through my husband to have eternal life with Christ mm-hmm. or my pastor. Yes. Um, this is about me and my relationship with God. And so this whole thing about women, um, men not learning from women, really it's ridiculous. Men learn from women all the time. And theology encompasses so much of what we learn and what we say. Um, You know, theology is merely about living in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm doing this very second. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the distinguished distinguishing mark between just learning from women and women uh, in ordained ministry is about the authority of the office. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that's different from, um, you know, you learning from me in a conversation, you learning from me and reading a book, or even if I was at a conference and you were sitting at that conference and you learned something from what I said, um, I'm not speaking with the authority of the preached word of God or the speaking in the authority of the office of an elder, Mm -hmm. there's a difference there. But then I I do continue out in the chapter just talking about how men ought to learn from women. And in fact, we do that in Scripture. I mean, we have women's voices all throughout Scripture, and particularly I highlight the prayer of Hannah Mm -hmm. and the song of Mary, which are full of rich theology that um, we all learn from. Yes, Excellent. And one of the interesting things you take on, uh, Amy, which I really commend you on your guts, because these are these are sticky questions. It's not like you're going to go to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4, and say, oh, here's the answer to this question. You deal right. even with the subject, as you just mentioned, of conference speakers. Um, yeah. And uh, just just take a swing at that. What, what, what could you um, tell us about that dynamic? Yeah, if I'm taking a swing at it, <laughs> I'm going to say that, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing that's happening with conferences, you hear th- these are parachurch organizations, and um, now we have separate ones for women. Not that that can't, I mean, I think that there's valuable reason to do that sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but often it's the case is because we don't want to have women speaking to a mixed audience. Right. Um, and the interesting thing is because they don't want to confuse it with worship. Mm-hmm. And parachurch ministries seem to um, often imitate church. Yes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they replace church for people. And, and so you have this board of elders or board, or board of members that are ruling the parachurch organization, but they function almost like elders. However, they're not elders. They don't have authority of the office. Mm -hmm. This is a parachurch organization. So um, usually it's all men because um, it's kind of imitating church. However, um, you have these elements in these parachurch organizations that are similar to worship, but there's some very important ones missing. Like Mm -hmm. I said, an office of elders is is not there, just a board of members. Um, There's no one pastor who's faithfully preaching expositional sermons over long periods of time, faithfully. Like instead you have guest speakers flying in, you know, um, just for a couple days, and then they go home to be with their families. Um, 
so these critical elements are left out. You don't have congregational prayer uh, for the local church. Um, there's no time for confession and assurance of pardon. Um, usually no call to worship. There's no sacrament of baptism or the Lord's Supper being administered. There's no benediction when you leave. Right, so right. These, these are all important elements of a worship service um, that are excluded, rightly so, in a conference setting. But yet we keep saying we're, we don't want to err. We want to err on the side of caution and not have women teaching there. Mm-hmm. Why do we want to err on any side? You know, right. I, it almost seems like you're upholding parachurch higher than the actual office. Mm, yes. And it actually takes away from the authority of the office and the local church when you elevate a, a parachurch organization in that same position. Yes. Mm. Excellent point, Amy. Uh, I, I was telling Nathan earlier today, uh, we were talking about this particular uh, chapter in your book. Uh, <clears throat> as we talked uh, prior to going on air today, so to speak, your husband and I are both graduates of the prestigious Towson University, um, <laughs> where I think he was, I think you said he graduated around 93. I was right around that same time. Uh, at that time, I was in what was then called Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, which I think is crew now, of course. Huh? But one of my great uh, memories was uh, two years I was at what was called the Christmas Conference, always that week between Christmas and New Year's, um, at the Adams Mark Hotel in Philadelphia. And uh, Elizabeth Elliot spoke. And mm-hmm. I noticed at the, t- at the time, I'm 20, 21, so I was a pretty young believer and didn't have mm-hmm. much of a theological category for this. But I, I knew when they were introducing her, uh, it seemed that the conference um, speakers were going out of their way to make sure <laughs> we knew that Mrs. Elliot was testifying to, oh, to God's yeah. grace. You know what I mean? Although uh-huh. I, I remember she gave a really wonderful message on Psalm 46. And Amy, it was a message. It was truth yeah. about God. It was truth about us. It was truth about our hearts. Yes, she was testifying of God's grace. Um, but yeah, it was a message. And I'll tell you what, I learned more from that message than the other fine speakers that spoke that particular week. And uh, that was probably my first sense of, oh, this is kind of a this is a big deal to people. This is a hot potato here for people because um, I sense that they were really going out of their way to couch her speaking context. And um, mm-hmm. I would say, and I, I think, Amy, you were saying it, that, yes, yeah, she was teaching us wonderful mm-hmm. things about God, wonderful mm-hmm. things about salvation, wonderful things about our security in him. And that that's something that, as you boldly, I think, say in your book, isn't just something we should allow, but it we ought to expect mm-hmm. this and experiences in the body. Right. And and on the flip side um, of things, I find it very interesting that sometimes the retreats I'm invited to do to speak, um, these women are staying through Sunday. Mm, and yes, yes. so they have kind of their own worship service on Sunday morning. Yes. Um, and I'm invited to be a part of that and to participate in that. And, and I always politely decline and say that, there is nothing that I can offer on Sunday morning that would ever come close to replacing the worship service at your church. Um, But I find it interesting that, you know, these are good conservative churches that um, have no problem with swapping a worship service for uh, women performing, you know, the whole worship service unto themselves without any elders. Interesting. Mm. 
or leaders in that way. Um, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's just this whole downplaying of the elements of proper worship. Yes. Yes. And, and I, uh, if I can, Amy, I'd like to take it another step. I'm, I can't recall if you addressed this in the book or not, but, um, we had, uh, do you know who, uh, who Tom Schreiner is from, from Southern mm-hmm. seminary? Um, yes. yeah, we have, we've had him on a couple of times in the past and a great guest, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. had some wonderful, wonderful things to, uh, to share with us. And, uh, remember Nathan, the time it was you, me, uh, Steve Hartland yeah. who's another pastor in this area yeah. and, um, uh, Tom Schreiner. And we were asking him some questions about women in ministry, his view on this, because we had heard through the grapevine that, uh, he's not as predictable as one might think a conservative Southern Baptist is. And, um, he, uh, he was walking us through some of the roles women play in their church, even on a service, which I'd love to pick your brain to see if you maybe resonate with this or feel differently. Um, and, uh, then Steve shared some things, uh, that they do at their church and the most conservative non-women participatory church was mine and i'm sitting there like i am with tom schreiner who i don't think is gonna uh you know is not gonna be dancing a jig on the platform at his church on any given sunday or swinging from the chandeliers or things people might associate with a little you know he's a wild and crazy guy and uh i'm thinking wow i'm the most conservative of the batch here because i think at one point what do women do on your sunday service uh Nothing. Um, they do watch children in the nursery um, and occasionally serve at the coffee bar in our lobby when people come in. Sometimes announce they'll make announcements. You, you know what? You're right. You're right. That's happened a handful of times. Now, I um, forgive me, Amy, if I'm painting the OPC with too broad a brush. My sense of the OPC, being a former PCA guy for a number of years, uh, mm-hmm. is that women probably have little or no visibility in a Sunday service. Is is that fair? Is that right? Um, well, in the OPC, they definitely um, only have the or you know the elders and pastors serving in in the sense of um, leading worship. Yes, and being up scripture. front in any sense. Yeah. Yes. Now there's there's women in the. Um, the group who lead the singing mm-hmm. there's women in that and um of course there's women greeters and all and all those things but interestingly because they hold the office so highly in that way and they're the only ones handling the word and sacraments mm-hmm. during worship um they have well my church anyway i mean, each church makes their own decisions with these kind of things but you know they've asked women to they've asked me to teach a sunday school class that was co-ed interesting yeah. So, I mean, and it was nothing that I was ambitious to do or anything like that. Um, they came to me, but it's because that's not worship service. That's okay. not the call to worship. It's different. Um, it's underneath of their shepherding, of course. And there was an elder in the class and I was submitting my lessons to the pastor the week before. But um, it frees women to serve just like lay men yeah. in every other way. So they don't have lay men up there doing leading the worship service either. Okay, sure, sure. So it really is an, an quote officer of the church in your church. Right. It would be a pastor, elder, right. Um, right? Somebody. And do they use the term session in in your church? That's what we always called it in the PCA. Yeah, we have a session of the, the elders. Uh, a session. Okay. 
Interesting. I have to say, Amy, you continue to intrigue me. This is my <laughs> next lead in, and, and I'll tell you why. You're in an OPC church. You, mm-hmm. you clearly hold um, church governance in very, very high regard. Uh, if I could mm-hmm. use the term conservative, I think many people would say, oh, yeah, Amy's very, very conservative about um, you know, her sense of Sunday morning church governance, leading worship, etc. Yet, and I, as I said to you before we went on air, I say this in the most affirming sense. My sense from you, from things I, I've read that you've written and talked about uh, in the last year or two, is that while you would, I, I think, identify yourself as a complementarian, you're, you're uh, critical – and I think fairly so, of some of the strands of complementarianism that are out and about today. Would you say that's right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say I would even take it another step to I didn't even use the word complementarian in my book. Yes, um, I noticed that. Okay. Because I just would rather identify as being confessional at this point because I think some of the teaching has been so confusing. Um, like you said, because I hold church office so high and – um see that as a gift to the church. And, and I want in every way to be biblical in that. And I very much stand um, with people who want to talk more about gender distinction. You know, God made us male and female. And I don't think that we're androgynous in mm-hmm. the way that we relate to one another and the way that we serve. But um, I found that a lot of teaching has been so based on male authority and woman submission mm-hmm. and subordinates um, and so based on um, some stereotypical views mm-hmm. of, of manhood and womanhood. And I've seen a lot of abuse happening because of it. Yeah. And, and so that really concerns me and that's why I've been more outspoken um, on that topic. Yes. And I, I, I will continue to be because I think it's important and it's, it's crazy because I feel like I have to keep defending my conservativeness. I bet. Um, I and, bet. And I, but at the same time, it's, I, it's because I'm conservative that I, I care about these things. And, and I think Amy, you just uh, captured why uh, I think we feel such resonance with you. Nathan and I tend to like people that have enemies on all sides. <laughs> um <laughs> No, and, and I would imagine when I thought of you, I said, I bet Amy's the type of woman who's getting emails. Can't catch a break either way. Yes, from people that all <laughs> yeah. oh, one of the, one of these radical conservative, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know what one of my one of my friends calls Utah women, long denim skirt wearing women, and you're so out of touch with culture, blah blah blah. Um, and I bet you get a number of emails from folks that are quote unquote complementarian, more conservative, that feel that you're breaking ranks. And um, can I just say, Amy, thank you for seeking to be a biblicist and seeking to speak the truth as it's there, unvarnished, uh, and at times say some things. Because I I will say – you don't have to say this, Amy, but I will. Anybody that knows me, Nathan and I have done a whole (laughs) podcast on this, knows I – I mean, John Piper, like many, has had a tremendous impact on me. I'm thankful for sort of his signature phrase, you know, the Christian hedonism God is most glorified in us when when uh, we are most satisfied in Him. Uh, I think that's worth its weight in gold. I think that has some wonderful dimensions to it. Uh, it's helped me a great deal. Um, I have. I'm just going to tell you, and you can comment as you wish. I have become increasingly despairing of some of the extremes in, and I don't mean to pick on Piper. There's a whole movement that he's connected with. Um, it, you know, again, the concept of uh, leadership is male. 
I've heard that from a number of even pastoral peers as if it's the equivalent of saying God is three in one. And uh, I've now challenged that a little bit more. In other words, I've heard leadership is male as a universal truism so mm-hmm. that a woman can't ever be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, so that a woman could never right. run as vice president, so that a woman could never be in a position where she's giving an order to a man in a supervisory capacity. And, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of scratch your head and say, does the Bible say that? And, I mean, here's my thought, is when we preach the gospel rightly, it is intrinsically exclusivistic and intrinsically offensive. Praise God, it's meant to be. It confronts us in our pride and our sin, and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, great. So on top of that, God intended offense. Let's add a whole bunch of other offenses <laughs> that really tick people off uh, and maybe obscure the clarity of the intended offense. But I'm sorry. I'm soapboxing now. But um, <laughs> anything I threw out there you want to comment on or would you rather just take the pass? I'd understand either way. <laughs> you know, I've tried to um, – I've tried to – to walk delicately. I can in, tell. I'm not helping you. Area and, um, but then all, other times I've kind of spoken out kind of firmly mm-hmm. uh, because there's a, you know, so much, so many more people have been brought into Reformed Church, I think, because of people like John Piper. Sure. Um, showing the connection between, you know, the spiritual side um, with the, the truth side, you know, the, how connected they are and, and our passion should be... Um, positive in that way and he is a you know that man can preach sure yeah and he's got strong convictions and um so that's why i felt like it, it's even more important than to engage with those areas because people will will trust what he says yeah and um and then maybe take it down the road a little further of uh, the implications of what he says about those things and so there's been some silly teaching coming out of, you know, even in his own writing about, you know, why we need to be concerned how I show my biblical femininity to the mailman. Right. Or why it's okay, you know, for a man, if if you you were in my neighborhood and and got lost and I just happened to be outside and I was, you know, there were no other men outside for you to to ask directions, why would it be okay for me to give you directions, even though that's giving direct guidance to a man from a woman. And, um, I just feel like, do you live in the real world? Right. I mean, <laughs> and yeah. everything's hypersexualized if you have to think that way. Yes. Um, I would be nervous all the time. Um, and it's just, that, that isn't biblical. And yeah. so I have spoken out about some of those things. And I, and I don't want to denounce John Piper. You know, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater by any means. There's a lot of good teaching. Um, I'm not t- trying to disrespect any of that. But um, these are areas that, that hurt women and men Yes, when it's taught like that. So um, I've just been trying to navigate through all of that and, and maybe have some more conversations. And the sad part is I feel like, interestingly, more egalitarians want to talk about it. Yeah. And have been more friendly to me than some of the conservative complementarians. Well, Nathan, I don't know if you were thinking this as uh, Amy was talking, but I, if we could ever do it, I'd love to have some conversation with – Amy and Marcy Preheim. Yes, actually, um, yes, that was exactly. Just, what I was and I don't know if you know Marcy at all. Uh, I don't. Marcy, uh, very she 
great lady. She was a guest on several months ago. Marcy, if you're listening, we love you. Um, Marcy, it, to me, I think she'd say this is fair, has become egalitarian or mm-hmm. close to it. And, again, I, I hate to use labels because they, they right. tend to not capture every nuance we want. And I'm just using yeah. it as a way of uh, a shorthand. But um, she wrote a book for Cruciform um, called Grace is Free. Uh, okay. which is a wonderful book. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does a podcast now that is, um, it's called Fundy Land Sees Red. And <laughs> um, it's an interesting experience. She came out of John MacArthur's church. Her co-host came out of similar church's background. In, in my opinion, and I would share this with Marcy, we, we really did when we talked, I think they might come dangerously close at times to throwing the baby out with the bathwater because they really uh, put a premium on grace on women learning the scripture for themselves, things I would affirm as a pastor, as a reformed pastor. Um, at times what I've said to them and challenged them is I feel that, uh, you know, I, I, my fear is that if you really get grace, you'll be egalitarian. Um, that, that's sometimes a sense I get uh, from them. Mm. And I think, wait a minute, I think, I think <laughs> I get grace or want to get grace increasingly and I'm not egalitarian. Um, and, but I want to be part of that party. I want to party with those people and, and, and hang with those people and celebrate God's grace. Uh, so anyway, I, I, we're kind of thinking out loud, but if you, you, you get a chance, uh, I'd love to, love to, uh, to get your thoughts. But anyway, Amy, uh, you are, you're, you're a woman that's writing clearly with a view to scripture in a very solid reformed confessional church. Um, and without, you probably can't get into too much of this, um, how has that gone in your, and I don't mean the church you're in now, but the churches you, you've been in, uh, how has a woman such as yourself been received? Um, has it been a mixed bag? Because uh, you're clearly a gifted writer, communicator, teacher. You, uh, as we've said, hold uh, the local church uh, authority, uh, invested in godly men in very, very high esteem. Um mm-hmm. But because you are a little eclectic, it, it, that's the word I'm using, um, I bet life is interesting. I'm just curious how your navigation through church life has been. Okay. Well, I'm currently in the OPC, like I said, uh, since we moved. We were PCA before that. Um, I'm loving the church I'm in. I hope they feel that if that is mutual. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm just one of the many, many intelligent thinking about through things lay women in the church yes you know i love that we can ask questions and um be answered and be a part of the body of christ in that way and um and serve alongside one another um i feel very invested in in that way um when i first was you know early in my marriage and learning a lot more and was asked to teach and i was at a baptist church at the time um asked to teach a women's Bible study. Yeah, it was wonderful. Like my pastor recommended a theology book, um, a systematic theology book for me to read. And I thought, well, you know, it would be good to teach through just the doctrine of scripture. Cause I felt like that was something that was a good foundational thing to start a study with. And, um, the women came from so many different backgrounds and, None of them are really small talkers. I mean, loved them all. And they were asking hard questions. And so was I as we were growing and learning together. I mean, I just, I dedicated No Little Women to this group of women. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
But then, you know, I went and asked my pastor, you know, I was asking him questions all the time because at that time as well, I really wanted to be under good shepherding leadership. You know, I needed that. Um, I didn't want to go rogue. I don't think women should just read the Bible for their own. I think every person should read in the covenant community of the faith. Yes. And the, the local church plays a huge role in our reading of scripture. And so does the historical church. You know, we the, the spirit has worked throughout the church to preserve an orthodox confession of our faith. And, and we should take that for granted in some ways, you know, like we should always be returning to it and loving it and, and having that. So, um, as I was asking questions, you know, my, my pastor kind of smirked one time and said, you know, Amy, why are you worried about these things? You know, like you don't, this is just the women's Bible study is basically what he said. You know, guys don't need to worry your pretty little faces over something like uh, limited atonement. (laughs) (laughs) Why why are you asking that question? Um, So it was very, um, very discouraging. Um, Something that stuck with me now for a long time. In one sense, he recommended a systematic theology. It was my first uh, experience like, oh, lay people can read this stuff too. You know, it's not just for pastors or, or seminary students. Yes. But then there were some problems in that systematic theology book that were leading me to ask those questions. Oh, uh, gotcha. Sure. Mm. And um, so uh, it was very discouraging at the time. And I think that is what led me to the Presbyterian church in a lot of ways is because um, to hold the confessions up higher and uh, to have that more, more vigor and precision, doctrinal posi- precision. Yeah. Yeah. So, Excellent. and then, you know, throughout the church, there's, I have seen how patriarchy is seeping into all churches yeah. um, through, yeah. through friendships, through emails. And, and even in some of my own experiences, I've been confronted for living in sin, for having my children in public school. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, these are things that need to be talked about in love, but boldly. Right. Yeah. Been been there, done that. Yeah. Maybe I'll, uh, I know Nathan wants to um, – I've dominated Nathan. Sorry. I'm, getting, it's, I'm like a kid in a candy shop here, so I'm just <laughs> getting all my questions into uh, Amy while I can. Uh, Amy, I could just tell you and for our listeners as well, and I, I will keep this very uh, sort of low-key, but I, I had a couple in my office years ago, wasn't this church, so – I don't think there's any any sense of uh, giving away any any more context than that. Um, basically, this guy was using patriarchy and a mm-hmm. very distorted view of male headship mm-hmm. to to want me to referee things he wanted to occur between them. I'll just say that, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and it was unbelievable. I, I, it was the first yeah. time I saw it in all of its ugliness. I know um, it's unbelievable. Yes, that there was a genuine sense that that pastor, you need to tell her the way it is, so that you know these things that I desire would take place. And I, I remember, I, I honestly, I, I I handled it about as well as I could. I if I could rewind the clock to that, I would have gone much more hostile, intentionally so, because I think I was seeing something blatantly evil. Um, in the name of a so-called biblical doctrine, which was just man-made gobbledygook. So uh, I do think for women to uh, think for themselves, to think scripturally, but again, as you said, in the context of that covenant community, um, 
is is so critical right now, lest they buy a bill of goods that robs them of joy, freedom, purpose, uh, the pathway God intends them to walk. So again, no little women, Amy Bird. Nathan, I know you want to jump in here. Yeah, I, um, I just want to, because um, we are unfortunately running out of time here. Um, Amy, we would love to have you back on at some point because <laughs> this has been great. And I feel like um, we could just, well, I feel like you and Greg could just talk for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, I've got about, honestly, about honestly about 52 more questions. Many of those would, would come from my wife and... Um, I'll, I'll, she'll probably tell me the 10 I should have asked. <laughs> no, so I, if we could park you in sometime, if yeah. it ever worked for you, we'd love to. No. And I, I have really just enjoyed, um, learning and sitting here and listening to all this because I know that there are podcasts that I tend to dominate a little more than Greg. So it has been a pleasure just to sit here and learn um, from you, Amy, and and get all this information. It has been so great. Um, Real quick, want to just tell our listeners, you'll be able to get a copy of Amy's book by retweeting the tweet we put out with this. So we found that Twitter has become a huge ally for us. Um, Our ratings on uh, iTunes are great. We love those. Anyone who wants to post a rating for us, we'll take it. But the way you're going to win um, one of these books is by retweeting um, this podcast out when it goes up and live. So um, we'll actually do three books. So, three books. Um, so if we get three retweets, guess yeah. what? You got it. If we get ten, then we'll choose. <laughs> we'll randomly choose three, meaning uh, the, right. the the profiles we like the most. I That's mean, right. uh, <laughs> no, we'll we'll randomly choose. That's right. And if we get four, Greg might be generous and cave and give all four. I so, might. Um, I might do that. But real quick, Amy, just want to get um, some last-minute thoughts from you on this book. Just, um, you know, Greg and I have both written books, um, and so we know there is so much of your heart and soul that goes into a book when you write it. And so just want to give a chance for you to – to promote your book. So please take some, take a few minutes here and just, and throw that out there to people, um, whatever you want to say about it. Oh, that's the part I'm always bad at. <laughs> but <laughs> me too, me too. I will just ask that, um, it's really important to me when, when I wrote this book, that I wrote it for church officers as well as women. Yes. And of course, any men who are concerned about this, but there's nothing more frustrating than reading a good book about women's ministries or investing in women in the church, women's initiatives, and um, knowing that your church officers aren't going to read it. Mm. So um, like you suggested earlier of, of having the elders in your church read it together, that's what I would love to see. Hmm. I would love to see um, elders reading this book too and um, interacting with me, um, you know, whether it's through email or social media, just letting me know what you think. I've been getting some, some good questions and um, a lot of good encouragement, but also, you know, it's, it's also helped me with suggestions for stuff to write about in the future as well. Oh, oh excellent. Um, I'm really hoping that this book helps the local church. Thank you once again so much, Amy, for coming on and joining us. That's um, great. We are going to go ahead and sign off now. Greg, Amy, we just rocked the Casper. Maryland style. Thank you so much. <laughs> Maryland style. <laughs> These go to 11.